Hello, you're listening to Lens, a theology and film podcast uh, where we talk about different films and talk about the lenses through which the film is seeing uh, ultimate reality and compare that with the uh, lens of the Christian worldview and the Christian gospel. Uh, my name is Brad Witte, and I'm here with Pip Craighead. Hello. Hello. Um, so, uh, basically, to give a overview of what um, this podcast is, um, Pip, do you want to do you want to give a kind of a, a brief overview of what it is we're trying to do? Yeah. So the idea is that uh, we're both Christians, um, and we both love movies. And uh, the idea, kind of behind this, is uh, in the past we've actually done some theology and films events at a church that we both worked at, Reality LA in Hollywood. Uh, and the idea basically is that any film, any cultural artifact, piece of art, anything that humans make is going to contain reflections and distortions of what we as Christians believe is the ultimate reality of the universe. So, uh, in any given film, you're going to see things that reflect. A biblical view of of ultimate reality, uh, and you're also going to see distortions of a biblical view of ultimate reality. So, um, so we really and and you're going to see those both within the same film, within the same cultural artifact. So, this is just a discussion, kind of looking at different movies and kind of examining them and seeing what things kind of jive with the Christian worldview, what things conflict with it, and just the kind of interesting themes uh, that come up. So I think a, a big part of this is we just want to uh, really engage with some of the underlying content of a film and just kind of thoughtfully kind of grapple through what it's saying and kind of, uh, I guess, kind of, to some extent, kind of go deep. Not that we're going to, it's going to be an exhaustive examination, but just kind of dive in and just talk about what's kind of going on under the narrative. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so uh, maybe it'd be helpful to just kind of briefly intro ourselves, kind of our, um, I don't think that'd be helpful. (laughs) (laughs) We are human beings. That's all you need to know. Um, Basically, just uh, maybe, uh, yeah, a little bit of ourselves, our history with like film and narrative and story, and then also our spiritual background. Um, Mm -hmm. So about me, uh, name is Brad Whitty, and I I grew up in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and uh, later, uh, about 10 years ago, moved to California. Um, I had, my family has always loved movies. Like that was one of the main kind of, uh, gathering places for us, uh, favorite films growing up, uh, all the Steven Spielberg, uh, films. Um, as I got into, (laughs) as I got into high, into high school, started, uh, loving, um, all loving, uh, Wes Anderson movies and a lot of the more kind of in that age in the late nineties and early two thousands, a lot of the kind of more quirky and like high concept, bizarre films that were coming out at that time. Um, So all of that actually inspired me to want to move to Hollywood after college to pursue being a screenwriter. Didn't take long to realize that that era uh, of quirky and high concept, uh, original screenplay kind of films, that era was ending and I had come at the wrong time. (laughs) Um, and, and, uh, And so... Uh, shortly after, after a handful of years trying at that and working in reality TV, uh, I decided to shift uh, into using my, my gifts and abilities and, and uh, time to serve in the local church and did that at Reality LA for a couple of years with Pip. Um, 
uh, working there, doing media and communications and writing stuff, and have actually, uh, in the last uh, year or so, transferred to uh, a sister church, Reality San Francisco, up here in the Bay Area, and um, do that same kind of stuff. I'm the director of media and communications there. A little bit about uh, kind of where I'm coming from spiritually and, and theologically. Grew up in a non-denominational, pretty charismatic uh, church, um, and then uh, have, gone, have gone through times where I've been uh, very uh, reformed in my theology, uh, now in more of a, more of a uh, just trying to tap into more historic Christianity. And yeah, as far as film goes, it's my favorite media, it's my favorite artistic medium. Um, it really is, I would say in some ways, it's the kind of the, the greater kind of church medium in our culture where, where people go to hear the sermons of our of our age, the sermons of our our culture, the messages that we're all uh, that we're all meant to be walking in and living into, and um, so that's why I think it's so significant to have a a podcast like this where we talk about like what are the messages, what are the quote sermons that uh, films are are teaching, um, and uh, yeah, and what and how does the biblical worldview, how does the gospel interact with that. That's a long intro for me. Uh, so, Pip, it's your turn. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I I grew up in L.A. Uh, and I grew up loving film. Jurassic Park and Star Wars were big movies for me. Loved film. Actually went to film school uh, at Cal State Northridge in the Valley, the crown of the valley. Um, and kind of realized that film, Hollywood film, was not really for me. And I was particularly enamored of avant-garde films. So I made some kind of experimental films since film school. Uh, but since then, I've kind of gotten a lot. I still love film passionately, but I've gotten a lot more into writing and narrative. I'm currently working as a copywriter. We worked at Reality LA together, uh, Reality LA Church in Hollywood. We worked together um, doing writing stuff. Uh, I've got a, got a kid's book coming out. So I, I love narrative, um, but... Uh, yeah, but I'm not working in film, but I just, I think films are the equivalent of like, they're kind of like the novels of our times, so the thing, things that a large amount of people consume. And I think one of the most incredible things about, you know, in such a distracted age is that people go to a movie theater to sit in the dark, undistracted, to take in this kind of total sensory audiovisual experience. That is, that is very powerful. And I, uh, I think that's one of my favorite things about about film itself. Oh, as regards faith background, I uh, yeah grew up in a uh, charismatic house church. My parents were uh, missionaries in Hong Kong. Um, I have attended reality or worked and attended reality lay with you, which which in some ways would kind of lean reformed theologically. Um, and like you, I just uh, the bottom line for me is just kind of a commitment to historic Christian faith. Um, so let's uh, shall we plunge in now? Yeah, yeah. So uh, that's just kind of so you know where we're coming from. That's that's where we're coming from. So the movie we want to talk about on our first episode today is actually the final in the trilogy of um, of the new uh, the relaunch the reboot of the Planet of the Apes movies. So today we're going to talk about War for the Planet of the Apes. Um, and yeah, basically, yeah, we're just kind of, kind of jump in the, as Pips shared before, the main kind of, um, the main kind of framework we're going to use to talk about the films is, uh, reflections of 
the biblical narrative in the gospel and then distortions uh, of that um, of that biblical narrative in the gospel. Um, so yeah, just kind of jump in. Um, overall, uh, I mean, just from a just from an, an aesthetic and storytelling um, and performances and all that kind of perspective, I really really enjoyed this movie. Um, yeah, I just thought it was very well paced and very well acted and. Yeah, just all the different elements, the music, uh, the directing, um, really, really enjoyed everything. Um, one of the, when it came to the storytelling, one of the things that really stood out to me... Um, Was the whole talking monkeys thing? Yeah, I, I, <laughs> I, I, about 15 minutes into the film, I just kept turning to my wife and asking, why are the monkeys talking? And she... She was like, this is the third movie in the, in the trilogy, and you still, you still aren't used to that. I was like, I... Monkeys I know don't talk. And yeah, that's exactly exactly right. I was actually I was actually I I saw the movie by myself. I went and I was sitting there, a gentleman I didn't know, and I I literally I really like pretty early on I wanted to turn over turn to him just in the darkness and just go like wait so the monkeys are talking. <laughs> Is this in America? <laughs> <laughs> when did this happen? <laughs> when did this? Um, yeah. Um, but something I something I noticed in the beyond the talking uh, apes in the movie is uh, the main ape Caesar, who we've been following his journey uh, throughout the film, uh, throughout these films. How much, especially in this movie, um, he was functioning as a kind of Moses, uh, kind of Messiah type Moses figure. Um, I mean, it's it's really the whole arc of the film and. Feel free to jump in anywhere, uh, but just some of the things I I noticed um, uh, of kind of the Moses narrative with him throughout the film uh, is he is he and his people are in a wilderness and they're vulnerable from attacks, and so uh, at the beginning of the film we we learn that his son and uh, and and his his friend Rocket have gone and found a promised land, so to speak. Um, and Did they ever explain why his name is Rocket? Uh, nope. I mean, why? Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I like that. Yeah, it's a good, <laughs> it's a good name. I like how some of the monkeys have very kind of like pet kind of names, but then others have very serious names like Caesar. Yeah. There should um, be one named Bandit. <laughs> they, nobody trusts him. Yeah. Um, yeah, they, they discover this promised land and, and, uh, and so, like, that's kind of, from the beginning is Moses, uh, not Moses, Caesar's commission is to, like, lead his people, his, the apes, into this promised land. But then, uh, after what the horrible thing that happens with his wife and son, he kind of gets sidetracked uh, for this murder, like, revenge, murderous plot against the colonel. So, in a way, it almost represents uh, Moses' own fall from grace when he kills the Egyptian. Um, mm. And then... Uh, and once, uh, once he actually, you know, for, for Caesar, actually haphazardly ends up at the camp um, where, his, where the apes are being held and, like, they're essentially slaves, um, uh, he then, Caesar then actually kind of starts functioning in a Moses kind of role going to, going to the colonel who is kind of like the pharaoh in this scenario. And he's, like, appealing to, he's appealing to uh, the colonel to let, like, essentially to let his people go. Uh, and, um, and he's like that, that functioning in that way. And like, especially when he first returns, you notice 
that uh, that the apes are struggling to like see Caesar as their own and, as, and to still see him as their leader, which we see very much in with the Israelites and Moses throughout their story together. At different times, mm-hmm. they're antagonistic towards him. Uh, That's interesting. You know, I actually didn't didn't think about that. I mean, obviously, there's the Moses metaphors, is particularly at the end where he dies overlooking the promised land. Yeah, he those were very, though, yeah. yeah, that was very, those were very strong. But I actually didn't think about the fact that he was kind of, that the apes were being forced, put to forced labor and that he was, you know, kind of negotiate. He was trying to get them. I mean, it wasn't explicitly like let my, you know, let, yeah, let, to let, let them, them go, go but, yeah. but just for, yeah, just for what they needed. Yeah. I, I actually didn't necessarily pick up on that, but I, mm. I, I did, I mean, it, I felt like the movie's kind of faith analogies or the kind of, or the faith, faith references were, it's very interesting and like kind of, kind of, I mean, confused in a lot of ways, oh, right? Yeah, I would agree. In the same way that like, it's interesting because the original plan of the apes, you know, it, it's really, uh, so I've seen, I think three, I guess three and a half of the five original Planet of the Apes oh, movies. Five? Yeah. So the first two with Charlton Heston and then spoil, hey, if anybody is not, doesn't want to know spoilers, you should probably check out right now. But, uh, you know, at this, you know, at the end of the second one, the whole planet is blown up. Oh, no, and the I whole, didn't know that. Yeah. Oh, so at the end of the second one, Charlton Heston finds these humans, mutant, mutants living underground uh-huh. with a, a giant bomb. Whoa. And at the end, he blows up the planet and then like there's a narration over like a voiceover Mm -hmm. uh, who says like a small insignificant planet has just died or something akin to that. (laughs) And then, so the third planet of the apes is actually three of the apes going back, traveling back in time to the, I think it's supposed to be the eighties or nineties. It was filmed in the, in the Mm seventies with, and then, yeah. And then the fourth one is the war of the, it's like the equivalent. It's like battle for the planet or actually I forget what the second, the fourth one is, but basically it's a the ape uprising, mm-hmm. and then the fifth one is like a final battle between humanity and the apes. And I think, unfortunately, you know, it's like the budgets were going down for each one. Yeah. Though uh, I think it's uh, Roddy McDowell, or I believe his name is. As he the budgets, like, as the budgets go down, the the stakes become fewer. <laughs> the skirmish yeah. of the planet of the apes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. The mild disagreement. <laughs> uh, yeah, amicable, <laughs> amicable missing, disagreement. cat on the plane. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> but, but, but what I was going to say yeah, is the original, the original eight movie especially, I felt like, had that same kind of, we, like, kind of confusing religious kind of take where they're, you know, it, it seems like they're caricaturing, um, you know, the apes are a caricature of, you know, kind of a, a certain, you know, like kind of a view of like, oh, this, these kind of religious people where they're kind of, they seem kind of pharisaical, but at the same time, it there's like a weird kind of heavy-handed evolution thing going on where the apes just vehemently will not accept the idea that human beings once ruled. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. And they have kind of a sacred text and like uh, they have a lawgiver from the past that they they uh, they venerate. And it, it's uh, – when you watch it, you kind of feel like this feels kind of confused. Like mm-hmm. you kind of feel like, oh, is this like an – is this just a flatly anti-religious thing or is it more like there's not even necessarily a heavy agenda so much there is there as there is like throwing a bunch of, I mean, I don't know, but throwing a bunch of throwing a bunch of kind of religious references like myth, you know, or mythological references in to just kind of give the appearance of depth yeah. uh, or evoke a sense of depth. Mm. Uh, so, cause I, I watched it recently and I was thinking, oh, this feels kind of, some of it felt a little bit, uh, 
flat or like kind of cheap. Like it what like it was kind of being thrown in there for effect rather than for the for actually like engaging. And this movie felt reminded me of that. I thought that the last one, Dawn of the Planet of the Apes, I thought that was spectacularly well made. I think after watching it, I thought, oh Matt Reeves is one of the best directors of our generation. And I would love to see him make a Star Wars film is what I thought. Yeah. But it was just so sensitively handled and so fascinating. And yeah. you know, and the same with this film is that Matt Reeves recognizes like, hey, this is not a story about what if apes took over? You know what I mean? It's a it's a story about it's just a metaphor for people. That you know, just same with with Donald Duck, right? Donald Duck is not a talking duck. Donald Duck is just like a, a well, no, Donald Duck is like a substitute person, right? Oh, yeah. Mickey Mouse, all of that. Oh. Sorry. It's like a it's like a substitute, you know, it's not like, oh, this is actually supposed to be what an animal's like if they right. did such and such. It's just a substitute person. Like that's a, there's a long tradition of that. Yeah. And uh, the same with, um, the same with Planet of the Apes. Like, oh, this is just kind of like a metaphor for people. And it's obviously interesting and arresting because it's like, oh, they're apes. Yeah. Uh, but I, but I was going to say, I felt like it was the same kind of throw a bunch of religious, kind of throw a bunch of stuff in there in a way that's kind of confusing though. I want to, I'm just saying my, that's my immediate take. Yeah. I want to work through it obviously yeah I, I i could hear that because yeah on the surface basically what the what the film at least what this film is it's just like we're they're trying to figure out like okay this is the final of the trilogy and we we need to kind of wrap up like how how it is that it becomes a planet of the ape a planet mm-hmm. of apes and so you could almost you could almost perceive it as like okay so to give it a level of depth and like um in gravity let's basically in a very heavy-handed way with a lot of different points in the plot heavily identify caesar with a moses figure um and we're going to kind of graft that on top um and what's interesting too is another place where i saw a kind of heavy-handed use of of religious um language was uh the colonel um for the most of the film, I'd say that the colonel is more like a pharaoh-like like figure who just kind of uses violence uh, to have power over over people and is very corrupt. He's a he's a kind of like pharaoh type figure. But at one point in the film, he explains why that uh, to protect the remaining human race, he kills his own son, and he uses a kind of language that sounds like he is sacrificing his only his one and only son um, uh, to, to like mm-hmm. save the human race. That's just well, and yeah, and explicitly yeah. says that, right? Yeah. yeah and I was, and, and you can't help but notice that like in the in frame behind him there, there's a cross on the wall and, and it, I just thought like, what, yeah, what is, what are they, what are the filmmakers doing here? Like, what are they trying to, that's what I was, that's what I was kind of feeling too. Like it just kind of felt it, yeah, I guess the same with because and also that the army guys had Alpha and Omega was a prim, a big image was imagery mm-hmm. did you, throughout it and obviously that's what Jesus uh, is referred to in Revelation yeah. the beginning and the end mm-hmm. and I, I felt like and then even I think the kind of burning American flag at one point that Caesar jumps down it felt kind of to tell you the truth I felt like the whole thing felt kind of weirdly misanthropic in a lot of ways mm-hmm. because and. It, the second film was so sensitively handled because you felt like, okay, there are bad humans, there are good, or there are sympathetic humans, there are unsympathetic humans. Right. And same with the apes, right? It felt like, you know, I think of the, uh, the Solzhenitsyn quote about the line between good and evil runs not between countries or states or whatever, but 
through through every human heart. Right. And I felt like that film was sensitive in, in that it just like recognized the good and evil mm-hmm. at play in in everyone. Mm-hmm. And this one really felt like the only really quote unquote good human in there was the the little girl who was mute. Um, mm. And I thought it was really I felt like the second film was so sensitive, and this felt so kind of just kind of felt like. There's like a long, there's like a storied tradition in Hollywood of just like villains who are just kind of feel like cardboard caricatures of the right. And he felt like that to me, like, except, you know, except for the the fact that he does a monologue where he talks about killing his son because of that disease. And I read something with the director, Matt Reeves was saying that everything he says there is actually is true. Like everything he says makes sense mm-hmm. and he wanted that to be – so he's not just like, oh, he's just crazy and he's – you know, he's just right. – it's it's what he's saying is, is lo- you know, it's cold and it's terrifying but it's logical in a certain sense, mm-hmm. which was interesting. But overall, he just felt like – he did not feel like a really good villain to me because he just felt so flat. Like I was really hoping that you would be conflicted about the humans being destroyed. But this film really felt like it felt kind of triumphalistic, like, oh, these people, these, you know, they're dirtbags. They deserve to die. They're militaristic, all that kind of stuff. But even the quote unquote, the good army that came in at the end and was destroyed by the avalanche, it felt just kind of, like I said, it felt misanthropic to me. Yeah, I, I, I think it's interesting that, yeah, it's it's true. The only the only likable human being that we experience in this film is <clears throat> the girl Nova. And what's mm-hmm. fascinating about that is that she is easily she's easily the weakest character in the film. Like she's orphaned in the first scene we see her in when her dad is killed. Um, and what's fascinating is that, yeah, she, she can't speak. Um, and she like her intelligence has been like simplified to an extent to where she's kind of, I don't know, I guess to use the word kind of more primitive in her, in her logic and in her thinking, but animalistic, animalistic. Yeah. yeah. Um, but what's fascinating is that she is easily, uh, the most, um, she's easily the most like content and joyful and like kind of like peaceful character, like human. Well, character. her and Maurice. Yeah, her and Maurice. And so it, it almost feels like the message is like, um, the, yeah, that, that rather than trying to fight the apes, um, she is, she like becomes kind of like one of the apes by the end. And she's the most mm-hmm. happy and the most kind of content in like kind of being one among the apes. Um, mm-hmm. And this this makes sense if we if we kind of go back to what you were saying earlier about how in this film um, the apes are not like they're not literally like we're not meant to think of them literally as apes. We're we're meant to imagine them more as substitute people. And mm-hmm. so it's like in this scenario, the apes are the weak and the defenseless. Um, and the, the humans are like the aggressors and the, uh, the powerful, um, who are just trying to wield power through violence. And so it's, yeah, I'm, I was trying to figure out exactly what, I mean, I, I feel like there's in some level a reflection there that they are attempting to show that the human beings who actually are the most content and peaceful and, and happy are the ones who, um, like accept uh, who identify themselves with with the weak, I guess, or I I, I think that mm. they might be going for something like that. Um, and also notice that this weak uh, human being uh, Nova, she's actually responsible for.
for taking out the most powerful and, and yeah, with the disease, with the disease yeah. in the film. And so yeah. I feel like they're doing something there um, to, to, to say something about how human beings function with power and with, um, mm. and all that. Yeah. What do you, what are, you, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I, I'm not. I'm not sure exactly because it, it felt. That's why it felt kind of weirdly. The second film felt like very nuanced to me, and this just, like I said, it just felt kind of weird. Like you could walk away being like, "Yeah, the people stank. Like they should have just." In I don't know. It just felt. You know the. Me- I would say this. The messaging felt confused. Mm-hmm. The same with kind of Caesar having that kind of weird uh, kind of being. You know, on a. Putting put on a cross, yeah, suffering type for for his yeah suffering for his people. It, right. it it reminded me honestly of the original. What I don't like about the original Planet of the Apes is that it just feels like kind of confused messaging that feels like Judeo Christian elements were kind of thrown in there for depth. Mm-hmm. While there's also like a weird critique hat, like kind of a, a weirdly flat kind of critique happen. Well, perhaps not entirely flat, but mostly a weirdly flat critique happening. Mm-hmm. I just kind of felt like. I guess I just didn't like, it felt like a confused allegory to me. And mm-hmm. I felt like my biggest problem was just that Woody Harrelson and the people in it just felt like a, just like a, like kind of silly caricature of the right. I mean, it was a little more, it was more nuanced than that, but I feel like, again, and, and this is, this is obviously not because I'm like a jingoistic kind of militaristic person, you know, it just felt kind of, it, I was disappointed with it. Mm-hmm. You know, the film was unbelievably well made. Like yeah. it was just like I remember thinking like a half hour in it. It was just like the pacing and everything is just exquisitely made. You know, and just and it's shocking to think, oh, this is a Hollywood blockbuster film because this has the pacing and nuance and intelligence in the way it's told of it's just like a Hollywood film. Uh, I'm sorry, of a of like an art house film. Yeah, you know, of like a yeah, like oh, this could be a Criterion film if it yeah. weren't for the fact that it's like a you know. A billion dollar block. I mean, I don't billion, but yeah. a blockbuster with huge amounts of C- uh, CG. But again, I just felt like the as soon as they kind of hit, a, get, gotten to like, I, I just felt very disappointed by the kind of fl- how flat that felt. I think there's a, a a lot more interesting critique that that could have happened or like interaction with Woody Harrelson and stuff mm-hmm. than was taken advantage of personally. towards this uprising of apes but at the same time they they had a level of compassion and a level mm-hmm. of um yeah a level of grace and mercy and compassion and then and so you you would see that and then you would also see like within one person but then you would also see characters who were like Woody Harrelson's character but then you would see people like earlier in the franchise James Franco's character who was like completely a friend of the apes and like raised Caesar and stuff in this Mm -hmm. film. It's true. You don't see there is besides Nova, who is this kind of, um, uh, animalistic mute human being. There's not a single human 
who actually uh, who it, is living more in that tension. Um, yeah, like they're and it, yeah. and even the guy who the I, I forget the guy's name unfortunately, but the guy who at the very beginning Caesar let him free. Yeah, like he, you know, you kind of see him feel like there's this internal conflict through the rest of the film where he's like, but in the end he just gets blown up, right? Like, right. There's uh, no redemption and for him, yeah. and there's almost like a feeling of like justice, like mm-hmm. oh yeah, that guy's you know that guy should have gotten blown up, you know, and he just kind of you just kind of feel like well. What's the film? It's film. I I just felt like it. It, it felt like it was rooting for the human human downfall in a way that just felt like, again, like I said, it just felt weird, like weirdly flat or something. And I know, yeah, yeah. I, again, and you know, oh, go ahead. I was just gonna. No, say, I was gonna say what. It's fascinating that. It's fascinating that yeah, for the for the the villains in this movie, and really, I mean, if you think about the if. And I think we're meant to see throughout this, throughout the trilogy, the apes as the protagonists, as like the the heroes we're rooting for. Um, in this in this film, you don't really see the antagonists. You don't see any of the humans actually any of the humans actually reach a kind of redemption to where they they atone in a sense, like atone for their ways and stuff. Like I was expecting that the guy, yeah, the guy we were just talking about with the crossbow at the end of the film that he would have like actually he would have redeemed himself in some way but instead we just see the other ape donkey who had been a traitor we just see him redeem himself yeah. by blowing up the guy with the crossbow yeah it just felt kind of like i said i obviously i don't think the filmmakers you know i don't think this is there's like some weird uh like uh kind of animals shall inherit will inherit the earth kind of like i don't think there's like a weird agenda like you know a weird agenda mm-hmm. happening but it just felt kind of like it felt to me just kind of this feels kind of confusing and I just yeah. it feels less subtle than the last films yeah. kind of like well, what I thought was a fairly intelligent portrayal of human beings totally. in all their beauty and screwed up you know just how screwed up we are yeah well this perhaps thing I mean if we go back to what we had talked about earlier how we're if the apes are kind of substitute people they are this kind of like weak and um, defenseless. I don't know, quote, people group in the film, they they essentially do inherit the earth in the end. The the meek mm-hmm. the meek inherit the earth in the end, you could almost say. And so I wonder if that was almost something they were going for to show like, oh, the 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 vicious the vicious and 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 relentless humans, they they meet they meet the fate that they were trying to impose on on the apes themselves. And in the the defenseless weak apes, they they inherit the earth. Um, I don't know if that was something that was actually intentional or not, but yeah. Well, and you know, I, well, and a couple just kind of jumping off points or just mm-hmm. things to note. You know, what's interesting is so in the original film, Charlton Heston uh, meets a mute woman uh, who uh, named Nova. Or he, na- I believe he names Nova. Nova, I don't actually quite, but her name's Nova, and she she's mute, and she like accompanies him on his on his adventures. So there's a lot of interesting kind of hearkening backs, and weirdly, even the scene where Nova gives, I believe she gives Caesar uh, some water. Mm-hmm. Do you remember that? Mm-hmm. Uh, that's that harkens to a scene in Ben Hur where Charlton Heston receives water from Jesus. So that felt to me like it felt like there's a lot of biblical references and allusions going on. But kind of in a way that is 
like I said, feels kind of just kind of confused. Like, uh, you know, I thought it was something that's interesting is that uh, you notice that none of the apes swear. There's no profanity coming from the apes while there are from the humans, oh, yeah. which I just thought was kind of interesting. But, you know, I mean, if we're talking about reflections, distortions, it's interesting how the apes, like the values that you see appealing about the apes, compassion, kindness, respect for life. Solidarity, uh, unity. Yeah. yeah, unity, mm-hmm. avoiding war, and, you know, just trying their best to avoid, avoid war. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, leadership, you know, like humble leadership, like servant leadership, as it, as it were. Mm-hmm. Like, and, you know, sac- sacrifice, yeah. C- Caesar being whipped for, so that his people could receive food. Yeah. Um, that is all, it's interesting how those are, those are Judeo, you know, Judeo-Christian values. Mm-hmm. Obviously, I'm not saying they're strictly limited to, to Christians, but like, those are Judeo-Christian values. And it's interesting that the film kind of seems to attack, like, caricature Christianity or caricature a, a, partic- a particular kind of vision of Christianity, mm-hmm. Right. But at the same time, it's 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 holding up these Judeo-Christian values, which mm-hmm. you know perhaps that's an intentional. I would imagine that perhaps there's like an intentional something very intentional happening in that. Yeah. But it's interesting that the the apes have no there, there's no explicit substance to whatever beliefs are driving them. Right. Yeah. It's almost like the film just kind of go like you kind of zoom out. The film is saying these values are important. These are like good and true and beautiful. But there's nothing actually explicitly holding them up. It's just something the apes do. But and really, if I think that's 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 symptomatic of what I think is ha- is happens in the West in general is that that uh, people lo- embrace certain Judeo Christian values, but they they divorce them from the actual content of the Christian faith. Right. And they, you know, it's almost like well, the cross or like you know, like whatever kind of references to God. Those are like. You almost feel like the belief is like those are like the uh, the form the container mm-hmm. for these values, mm-hmm. and the values are really good. So let's take the values, but let's discard or you know or even demonize the container. Mm-hmm. I feel like that that's kind of like a, a very typical kind of secular take on faith, right? Right. Uh, is that the container is e- either like benignly unnecessary, or it's like kind of it's demonized, like I said. And then, but it's interesting because what that is doing is like just kind of like this weird. I think it's like. It's just kind of like a weird, I even think it's like a platonic thing. It's like, oh, well, we're taking these eternal truths. These are what matter. And the temporal truths, like the historical claims of Jesus, all that kind of stuff, that stuff we can just toss out. Yeah. And it's kind of interesting because I feel like almost in a film, it, it demonizes the historic representations of actual, of, of Christianity. Though, obviously, this is, that's you know, I'm, and Woody Harrelson is not obviously <laughs> supposed to be a devout, like, uh, Christian. No. Uh, well, I guess he is supposed to be devout in some sense, but you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I just thought that was kind of interesting. That's kind of, it's implicitly, it's assumed that compassion is good, all that kind of stuff. Right. But there's no actual justification for that or, like, linking it to any sort of, like, content. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, I, I agree. Because if we, I mean, the, in the film, in, in, the, in the franchise, I feel like the, the meta narrative of the film obviously is is um, is you know uh, Darwinian evolution. Uh, th- this is the kind of the next step in evolution. And let me let me let me preface by saying if you're if you're wondering like for me personally, I as as a Christian, I don't I don't have any problems with uh, theistic evolution. Um, that's not a that's not a problem for for me. So I'm not saying like that's just don't there's no need to read any anything into that uh for at least for my part in any case uh the idea of the so there's this darwinian 
um, philosophical uh, uh, ev evolution that's that's very present in the in the meta narrative of the of the whole franchise. Um, but what's fascinating is that from that perspective, um, these creatures, these apes, uh, there's no justification of why these apes, this ape community, would have these Judeo-Christian values of like protecting the weak and like um and uh yeah like help i, I don't know yeah because it's like it's 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 held up as like oh those are those are good yeah. obviously animals like I love, animals are so wonderful and capable of so much just beautiful tender like so, so much there's like a lot of incredible stuff maybe not tender is not the word but incredible stuff but Nature, I mean, like, nature's red in tooth and claw. Yeah, you know, yeah. like, like if you go watch a bunch of monkeys for a while, like, you're not going to come away with, like, oh, they inherently are compassionate yeah. and and merciful mm -hmm. and, like, empathic. You're, you're not necessarily going to come, you know what I mean? You're not going to, or you go out and hang out in the Serengeti for a while, you're not going to come out, come away with, like, oh, we need to learn to live the way they do. Yeah, because yeah. when people, when people live like animals, you know what I mean? Like, when you think of what that means, you think of, like, oh, like, cruelty, survival of the fist, mm -hmm. fittest, that kind of, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? So it's, mm -hmm. it's interesting that, that the animals, well, but that harkens also back to, I think, with, all, with, with most, if not all, all, allegories, if you press the allegory too much, it's going to fall apart. And right. I don't think they're intending to, yeah, I don't think these are actually intended to be animals, but I do think there's this kind of underlying idea of like, oh, if we all just kind of got along and if all our, all, if as creatures, we just kind of like lived in harmony and peace, I think there's almost like a thought that like, but the default setting of all of history and humanity, you know what yeah. I mean? And in just kind of like, in like a broad scale evolutionary worldview, the default setting is not harmony. The default setting is like brutality, chaos, <laughs> yeah. chaos yeah. consistent death. And even off, even if like, cause a lot of people hold to the idea of like a sense of progress mm -hmm. in evolution, you know, where man, man at any given point is a pinnacle of, of evolution. But at the same time, evolution is like, you know, it's in that kind of like in a, kind of like just totally flat secular kind of worldview evolution is like is a is a mute blind watchmaker in a sense you know oh, yeah. it's not even a watchmaker so there's no i mean the, so caesar sacrifice all that who you know none of it matters right so yeah yeah it, it's a uh, yeah i i agree because i mean just going back to how like real na real apes actually in nature function um it probably would have meant at some point in the film, some of the younger apes, when they noticed that, <laughs> that Caesar yeah, had gotten eaten, yeah. some of the younger apes like destroy him to become the alpha male. <laughs> like, because that's, <laughs> that's what actually happens in a real, in a real group of, in a real tribe. And you, you lived with the silverbacks for like oh, yeah. about 30 years, right? Oh, yeah, I lived, I mean, the first, yeah, the first, uh, up through junior high, I was, I, well, I was an honorary silverback, so. Yeah, I, I, I didn't know there was a large silverback colony in Oklahoma. That's oh, yeah. that's incredible, man. Yeah, yeah, they're a big voting contingent too. <laughs> oh, that's uh, weird. <laughs> oh, oh, so that's what the whole banana party is about. Oh, yeah, it's like, yeah, yeah. It's a single bananas it's a single for everybody. Platform. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, more bananas. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so I feel like yeah. Um, that's another thing that disturbed me about the film is there at no point was there like any jokes about go bananas yeah. or yeah. or like more fun than a barrel of oh I don't know what that kind of thing like a lot of missed opportunities. <laughs> <laughs> <I would agree. laughs> 
Um, Have you ever, you know, in the original Planet of the Apes, there's a scene. It's not, they don't say it explicitly. There's a scene where the three, I think there's like a monkey tribunal, I'm sorry, ape tribunal. And there's uh, a scene where the monk, there's like three of them sitting there and one puts his hand over his ears and one puts his eyes and he has hear no evil, see no evil, all that kind of stuff. Pretty (laughs) sharp. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So to sum up, I think, I think, yeah, how, what I would say, and uh, would love to hear your thoughts too, Pip. It feels, it feels like this film there. They were definitely they're definitely reaching um, beyond just kind of uh, what what summer blockbusters usually try to do. They're definitely reaching for deeper meaning about the human experience and uh, human existence mm-hmm. and like the and and what what lead the sort of things that lead to peace and the sort of things that lead to to chaos and you know bloodshed and and the ultimate extinction of the earth they're they're tap they're trying to tap into all those things and yet and yet like i i think they're seeking to tackle all those things but what you end up with is a a very kind of confused con- confused messaging um about how we actually uh how we actually get there and and i would venture to say in the end um kind of a naive a, a pretty naive take on on what human beings need to do or are actually capable of doing. Because if, like mm. Pip was saying a moment ago, if the idea was that we all just need to be loyal to one another and have solidarity and community and unity um, and be and and be uh, uh, as much as possible pacifist and like nonviolent and like care for our own, if. I mean, human beings for 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 millennia uh, have been trying to to live that way, and we and we see that on our own we're we're incapable of that. Um, and I think that's what makes that's that's a big part of what makes the um, the Christian gospel, um, the biblical story, so so powerful is that um, is that God in His wisdom sees that mankind is not able. To actually live this way and to break through to redemption on their own, so he enters. Um, he enters to actually create a pathway for that, and to not only to atone for um, our transgressions from from the beginning, uh, but also to create a new way forward and empower us for a new way forward, where we actually, through the power of His Spirit, can live. Uh, can live into these deeper truths of like what we, what even this film says is the, is the way to go. Um, so yeah, that's, that would be my summary. Pip, what, yeah. Thoughts? Yeah. I would say, and you know, actually one thing I, I, I want to say too is I think, you know, I think something the film touches upon to some extent is I do think like, we're just talking about animal, you know, nature, red and tooth and claw. One thing that's, that's, you know, just like a, heartbreaking reality is that humans are far more cruel to each other than animals ever are right Mm. like human like animals don't herd thousands and thousands millions of like you know well obviously they don't have sophistication but they don't systematically exterminate you know like a group of their species right right? they don't you know xyz so so i think human beings i wasn't trying to say that oh animals are bad are are just as bad or something like that i think you know like the um but i i think that's something that's kind of the film does touch upon and hint at, and that's one of the things I really have loved about the Planet of the Apes series is just the kind of grim facing up to the realities of how wretched human beings can be. 
Um, but again, I like like you said, I felt like it in the end the messaging kind of got confused. One thing I'm I mean, I'm really interested to see uh what if you know, because I think this is the completion of a trilogy and Matt Reeves is doing uh the Batman next, but I do I think, you know, obviously there's a franchise that they probably want to continue. So I'm real well not probably, they definitely want to continue. So I am really interested to see what the next step in the franchise looks like. Yeah. Because this is my favorite kind of movie theater movie. It's so it's a blockbuster film, it has spectacle, and yet there there's it's intelligent and it asks even if they're like kind of confused or like kind of uh buried a little bit, it asks provocative questions. Right. You know, one thing we didn't even touch upon is just the the power of speech. Mm-hmm. Like the power of you know, because I think there's something to that, the power of speech, right? Mm-hmm. Animals can't talk, parrots not notwithstanding. Uh, you know, animals can't can you know, can't engage in in conversation right they uh, but that is you know at the start of the bible god speaks the world into existence and there's something very clearly powerful about speech and you know i mean like the bible actually contains uh you know instances where it talks about and where it depicts animals talking and there's like obviously like i think that is a mystery that uh is kind of beyond our minds right now right but I think there's, um, I think there's something to the fact that as Caesar and his his clan, as their ascendant, right, with the power of speech, human beings are devolving, right, losing the power of speech. And I almost think of, I'm actually, I think of, and C.S. Lewis in uh, in in the Narnia stories, uh, animals are given the gift of speech, and then they. Uh, when they're extremely disobedient, when they're like actually act wickedly, this tower of speech is taken from them and they're turned back into mute beasts. And that was something I thought of like, you know, obviously with Woody Harrelson and just in general, like it seems like there's a theme of judgment upon humanity. Like, you know, you've like, you've done all this stuff to each other and you pillaged the earth and the, your power of speech is being taken from you by this virus. Mm -hmm. That is like a really interesting, that's just something interesting to think about. Uh, and I, I don't know if they're going to develop that more. Mm. Um, in, certainly in the original series, they never really developed, at, at least to my recollection, why human beings lost the power of speech. Mm. Um, well, I think that, yeah, that was something interesting. Yeah, I think that like the all of the kind of justification for those types of things are cloaked simply in kind of scientific explanations with like this virus and everything. But it, yeah, I, I, it definitely seems like there is a kind of greater. Um, there's a kind of greater order and endowment and, and kind of like, uh, in like taking away of that endowment in the film where we see mm-hmm. it shift. Um, it's like that scene with Woody Harrelson when he kind of groans yeah. like that and he can't speak. Yeah. That is like, that shook me in a sense. Yeah. That is like haunting. Yeah. And that really, that really rattles you. There's something so, I feel like so powerful to that. Mm-hmm. And I, yeah, that that was one of the most haunting things about the film. That scene where he can't speak. Yeah, and and he and he chooses rather rather than to live on as a human being and not to be able to speak, he'd rather die. And he yeah, he, yeah. he commits suicide. Yeah. I think if we say that to speak to be able to speak is part of being an image bearer of God. Totally. That you think of almost like Woody Harrelson is a picture of somebody that image of God being taken away because mm. it's been because of you know you could say because it's been abused mm-hmm. it's been 
it's been twisted. I, I just think that it, there is something very, yes. very haunting that, to that. that image that, and in a sense, that image of God is in, it's being taken from uh, the humans, and in a way, it's being given to the apes. It's being given to this other, to this other group. Uh, it's almost like you think of you think of the uh, you know Esau giving up his selling his birthright for a, a, a mess of pottage. You know, yeah. like it's. Uh, there's something very haunting about that, which, you know, just kind of resonates yeah. and it stays with you long after the film. Yeah. Anyway, speaking just a thought. Of, speaking of the image of God, there, there was something else that I was thinking about this movie that is so interesting is that both human beings and apes in this world have this innate kind of, I, they have this innate kind of essence of what it, of like what it means to be human and also what it means to be ape. And like I think, I think back to in the second film, whenever uh, you know Caesar is about to kill Coba, and Coba says, "Apes don't kill apes," and Caesar mm-hmm. says, "You are not an ape," and then kills mm-hmm. him. And then in this film, whenever whenever uh, Caesar has an exchange with Donkey, he says something mm-hmm. about whatever is, you know, you're you're trying to save yourself. There, whatever is left of you, like there's nothing left of you. And so it made me think like in this film, whether you're a human or an ape, what does it mean that you are losing your humanness or losing mm-hmm. your, your ape-ness? And mm-hmm. that felt to me like it's, it's that image of God. It's that image of our creator um, mm-hmm. who endows us to be more than simply animals. Um, yeah, that's, that's, that's a powerful thing to think about. Yeah, yeah, so... Cool. Well, thanks for listening. Um, yeah, this has just been our first episode, and uh, probably as we do more of those, we'll uh, we'll we'll continue to kind of shape and how we have these conversations. But uh, we hope you've enjoyed listening, and uh, yeah, that's it for now. And uh, we hope to uh, see you again, or have you listen in again on our next episode? <laughs> I'm not. I don't. I'm not seeing anybody. <laughs> see anybody? Okay. Bye.